there. Welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. And this week, it's Star Wars time again. Woo! Oh, wait. Why are we cheering? Wait. No, I forgot for a second. We're talking about Rise of Skywalker. Boo! (laughs) Boo! Oh, God. This movie drained the life out of us. It really did. You know... uh, It is a rough movie to get through. I mean, there are good moments in it, but they are very fleeting. (laughs) It's very funny to me because like, the audience score is really high, right? Well, like The Last Jedi... Yes, the audience score is high with an 86%, and the critic score is quite low with a 52%. So, again, it seems like this is also pretty divisive. But yeah, I remember when we saw it the first night it was open, I I just remember being in awe of what the fuck was happening. And I remember... (laughs) (laughs) getting a fucking headache which is funny because i also got a headache again watching it last night (laughs) this is actually shorter than the last jedi yes it's 10 minutes shorter than the last jedi but it feels at least half an hour if not 45 minutes longer jj gets a lot of flack for not being able to end the series because he hasn't really ended the series well I mean, this is a hot take, but I liked the ending of Lost. What? What the fuck? It's fine. It's it's okay. Scorching. We have just scorched the earth. It's a hot take. Not a lot of people like the ending of Lost. But anyway, <laughs> yes, he he gets a lot of shit. And I think with this, it's so obvious what the intention was. You know, he didn't like where Ryan Johnson went with Last Jedi, so he was trying to, like salvage it in his mind and in turn he ended up just packing a whole bunch of shit like too much shit into a two and a half hour movie well and there's also the issue of the colin trevorrow script right uh which has now been this flying around the internet yes duel of the fates uh i haven't read the whole thing top to bottom but i've read the highlights in case you don't know the backstory to that This film was not only directed by J.J. Abrams, but written by him as well with his writing partner, Chris Terrio, who, just so you guys know, wrote such classics as Batman v. Superman and Justice League. So (laughs) we're in a good spot. (laughs) Initially, J.J. wasn't going to be directing it. It was going to be directed by Colin Trevorrow, who wrote and directed the Jurassic World movies. Which isn't a glowing... No, but and then he has a writing partner as well named Derek Connolly, who was working on the script with him. He also wrote Detective Pikachu, which was yeah. a fun film. Arguably the best video game movie that has ever come out. Ever. But anyway, Connolly and Trevor were writing the script initially. However, they ended up stepping down pre-production due to, get ready for it, Creative differences, quote-unquote. Yeah, and uh, Abrams and Chris Terrio ended up taking over. Yeah, that was uh, Kathleen Kennedy's favorite word for a lot of the people in the Star Wars Correct. Uh, universe. <laughs> I don't know how it got out. I, I don't know if he leaked it or somebody leaked I don't know how it got out, but they, it, they leaked the, the script. 
called Duel of the Fates. And universally, it seems to have been preferred over what we got. So it's kind of a shame, but what are you going to do, I guess? So, despite the fact that it was very mixed in its reviews... Rise of Skywalker, released in 2019, was nominated for three, count them, three Oscars and lost all of them. <laughs> yep. What a shock. First things first, of course, we have to talk about the score. Mr. John Williams was nominated for like his 50 bajillionth Oscar. But fun fact about this particular work of John Williams, he went on record saying that this Star Wars film will be the last Star Wars film he will be composing for. I think it's tr- I mean, it's, you know, he has a good excuse. It's like the end of the saga. He can kind of just put it to bed and yeah, be done. Until somebody packs up a truckload of money to his house. I mean, maybe. You never know. But he was nominated for score for this film. But he lost to Joker. Yes. Which was awesome because she was amazing and the score was sick so well deserved a particular one that irritates me (laughs) is that it was nominated for visual effects and i know what you're thinking star wars is always nominated for visual effects but when i tell you that like especially at one particular part towards the end which we'll talk about the visual effects in this movie gave me such a fucking splitting headache it was just a vomit of CGI bullshit. Yeah, like, the, yeah, and got you. The beginning got me. But it lost that to 1917. Well, the shock. And it was nominated for sound editing and lost to Ford v. Ferrari. So nothing really too uh, exciting there. I will say I pretty much felt the same way as I did the first time we saw this movie, which was I didn't like it. <laughs> but the parts that I did like pretty much solely revolved around Kylo Ren. Makes sense. Uh, uh, again, I, I felt pretty much the same way. I, I think we should just jump right into this and, like, rip the Band-Aid off. Okay, okay, rip the Band-Aid. Yeah. One, two, three. Oh, oh God, oh. We start with The Crawl. The dead speak. Oh my god. That was so... That was like the dumbest first line ever. Like, why? The dead speak. Immediately, we already have problems. <laughs> this is gonna be a long fucking episode. So the problem with this movie, first and foremost, is Palpatine. Let's just get that out of the way right off the fucking bat. You, you can't introduce Palpatine. The last time we saw Palpatine, he got thrown down a shaft in the second Death Star. We didn't see him in 7. We didn't see him in 8. You can't reintroduce this character when you have already so much going on. It, exactly. And it's they don't even mention him in the other movies. Like, I think you were saying last night that J.J. has said that that was the plan all along to have Palpatine in, in the movie. You sure? Because Mr. Fizzles can sense when you're being a liar. I call big-ass bullshit on that. Because if you were going to put Palpatine in this movie from the jump, then why wouldn't you even mention him in Force Awakens? Like, it would be more believable if Darth Vader showed up in this movie as the bad guy. Because at least you've mentioned Vader several times throughout this trilogy so far. 
it wasn't a plan. You just didn't like where Ryan Johnson went with it. Uh, yeah, it was just one of those things. I sat there, and as you're watching it, and you're like, okay, I get what you want to do here because you're upset that he killed Snoke. You built up Snoke in the beginning like they built up Palpatine in the beginning of New Hope. Ryan Johnson killed Snoke pretty much very unceremoniously. True, that's fair. We don't trust Kylo to be the big bad, so we need a true big bad. But here's the thing, and I said this during Last Jedi, and I'll say it again. I feel that Last Jedi kind of left it very open and obvious to have Kylo Ren be the bad guy for the last film. And, you know, I don't want to brag, but someone agreed with me. And his name is Colin Trevorrow. (laughs) Because in Trevorrow's script, essentially, that's what happened. Kylo became, like, the big bad. And that's what I think it should have been. Because they built him up the most throughout these films. So it just makes sense to have him be, like, the driving force to get you to the finale. So, basically... Back to the crawl. The crawl says Kylo found out that Palpatine's still alive and he's trying to find a way to resurrect him and Leia's nervous about it, blah, blah, blah. Then we cut to Kylo Ren kicking ass in this random planet that we have no idea where he is, but it looks cool. Kylo Ren kills all these random guys and you're like, what is he doing here? And then he goes over to this chest or whatever and he pulls out basically a MacGuffin. It's a little like pyramid looking thing. And it's called, get ready, the Sith Wayfinder. That's the stupidest idea I've ever heard, you imbecile. Get it? Get it? Because it's a way for a person to find a Sith. So they called it the Sith Wayfinder. Are you serious? (laughs) Like, that was for sure a placeholder name that they just didn't bother to change. I'm like, all these fucking crazy-ass names in Star Wars universe, and you couldn't come up with a weird fucking name for that? Really? Okay. Then we immediately hard cut to Kylo on this stormy planet where he finds Palpatine. Ooh. It's really quick. It's the first two minutes. Palpatine is now back. He made Snoke, according to him. Yes, there's like a... a big jar or whatever full of Snoke clones just like floating. Yeah, I think that he's trying to imply that Snoke was a kind of clone of him. Yeah, that's the problem too with this is that they don't really make it clear like how Palpatine is back, what the situation is. Like, is he a clone? Is he the original Palpatine? Well, I think this is supposed to be an original Palpatine. The clone thing comes from a story that has long been non-canonized that Palpatine cloned a ton of himself. And every time his body got destroyed, he would just pop into another clone of himself. But, but it's just the fact that they don't really explain it and they leave it really vague, it just kind of adds to the idea that you didn't really know what you were doing and you just wanted to throw him in there. He basically tells... Kylo that he can give him this grand armada all Kylo has to do is kill Rey and then it cuts (laughs) it's oh god then we get to Poe Finn Chewie they're on a secret mission yes they're on some like weirdo random mission for the rebellion does it matter what exactly they're doing do we know do we care 
No. Really, the only purpose of this scene is to let the audience know that there's a spy in the First Order that's helping the Rebellion. And that's really the extent of that. And I, I got excited because immediately I knew that the Hamilton reference was coming because we got a spy on the inside. That's right. Hercules Mulligan! Tell a spy on the British government. I take the measurements, information, and then I smuggle it. Huh? To my brother's revolutionary covenant. I'm running with the sons of liberty and I am loving it. So after that, we then go to see Ray on this other planet. And she is in the midst of being trained to be a Jedi by none other than Leia Organa. Damn straight. Now, we did say last time we talked about Star Wars, The Last Jedi was the last movie that Carrie Fisher actually filmed. However, Leia is in this movie. They just used some of her leftover footage from The Force Awakens and, like, puzzle-pieced it into the dialogue in this movie, which sometimes it's fine, most of the time, it's very, very obvious that it doesn't fit. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is unnecessary. And I think what would have been the better thing to do, if we started off, because my friend Pat suggested that this movie was going to start on Leia's funeral. Yes. And I still think that would have been the best idea. I think so, too. Because A, the rebellion is at its lowest point. Their leader is gone. They're in disarray. Hypothetically, you want to throw Palpatine into this mix. Now you have this force that is so scary, and you have no leader. Right. Now, one of the things I found kind of interesting about Trevor's script that I read, uh, apparently Ray's aesthetic as well as her lightsaber were very different in the script. Trevor apparently wrote her with a double-bladed blue lightsaber and also she was going to be dressed all in black like Luke was in Return of the Jedi which I thought would have been interesting because we're so used to Rey just being basically in the same outfit for the three movies like the entire time yeah she, she never changes yeah but I think generally in Trevor's script Rey was a lot more confident and sure of herself in this film she's definitely improved training wise but she still like hasn't completely found her footing and they kind of try to shoehorn in this plot with her that she's struggling between the dark and the light now which is, doesn't really make sense but whatever you have this whole thing of yeah she's flirting with the dark and light but she doesn't actually ever flirt with the dark really so poe finn get back and land at the rebel base poe and ray argue back and forth it's weird because in the last jedi at the very end when Ray and Poe met they kind of alluded to the fact that like maybe there will be a romance in the next movie but they completely abandoned that in this and supposedly it was present in Trevor's script but for some reason JJ wasn't about it also Ray finds out about the second wayfinder oh my god it's you know how in Last Jedi we were talking about the side quest of the casino planet and how fucking stupid that was and annoying and just took you out of the movie completely. Yeah, this movie is all side quests, essentially, except for like maybe 20 minutes of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's all side oh. quests all the time. Yeah, They have to go to this planet to get this thing, and then they got to go to this planet to get this thing, and it's like constant. Yeah, we're avoiding the main story, like every f fucking role-playing video game that exists. Ray decides that Luke was talking about, in the books, a knife 
that held the clue to the second Wayfinder, and she has to go get it. Of course, Poe and Finn and Chewie tag along. So now, now, just so you guys understand where we're at, scoreboard-wise, there are two, count them, two MacGuffins on the board, and it's only been like 20 minutes in the movie. Oh, also, R2 gets left behind, and C-3PO comes with them. Oh, my God. That was fucking annoying. Yeah, C-3PO, after not having anything to do, really, in the first two movies, other than being like a little throwaway joke here and there, they decided they're going to just put him in the movie and give him a fucking side plot. It's, like, totally pointless. And meanwhile, they take C-3PO and leave R2-D2 behind. When's the last time C-3PO saved anybody's life? No, I don't recall such a thing. I can count for sure how many times R2 has saved somebody's life. Well, technically, R2 has saved their lives a lot more. C-3PO has definitely won to his credit, and it's only because he could speak Ewok. Oh, well... Yeah, but that he almost got them eaten by the Ewoks. So, no, I'm not giving him credit for that. So, they travel to Pasana, where there is a Coachella-like festival going on. But we get a little scene with Rey where she runs into this alien child, and she introduces herself to Rey... And she's like, that's an excellent name. My name is Ray. And the kid's like, well, what's your what's your family name? And Ray goes, I don't have one. It's just Ray. Remember, you know, Ray, her parents are still not around. We don't she doesn't have a family. Wah, wah. And right after she has this conversation, we get a Kylo Ren vision where Kylo is speaking to Ray, saying, you know, things like, do you still count the days since your parents left? Such pain in you. Such anger. I don't want to have to kill you. I'm going to find you, and I'm going to turn you to the dark side. When I offer you my hand again, you'll take it. And he reaches out and grabs her necklace that the child gave her and rips it through space and time. So now we've established this force connection has grown to a point that's even more insane. Yeah, well, it's been a year since The Last Jedi, roughly, so it makes sense that the connection has grown stronger and gotten more intense. So a stormtrooper comes up and goes, Hey, you're one of the people we want. Stop there. And he gets shot immediately. Who shoots him? Why, it's Lando Calrissian. Played by Billy D. Williams once again, and he is looking old as fuck. <laughs> God bless him, but he ain't he ain't looking too young and spry anymore. But Billy D. is still fun. He's he's adorable. So Lando helps him get away, and everyone goes on this little speeder, and they start making their way downtown. But then the stormtroopers find them. And they, what are you looking at me like that, Scott? <laughs> I didn't make a reference to Vanessa Carlson in this podcast. Making my way downtown, walking fast, faces pass, and I'm homebound. Leave me alone. So everyone's getting chased in the speeders because it's Star Wars, so we need another chase. Yay, hooray, hurrah. And we get the infamous line that Scott loves so, so much. The stormtroopers magically 
strap on some fucking jetpacks because they are in Jimmy Neutron now and they're just, you know, flying in the air with the greatest of ease on their jetpacks. And C-3PO goes, Oh, they fly now! They fly now? They fly now! They fly now? They fly now! And it's like, please stop, sir. Please <laughs> stop this. Okay. So, let me get into the They Fly Now. Oh no, here we go. Here we go, I'm usually the one ranting. So, as a guy who has played multiple Star Wars games and read some Star Wars stories and watched all the movies, Stormtroopers have been fucking flying for fucking ever. This has always been a thing. And Finn, being an ex-Stormtrooper, would know they have this technology. Having C-3PO say it, okay, maybe you can get away with C-3PO. He's never seen it because C-3PO is always in the bunker. He doesn't really face stormtroopers. But then Finn says it. That is really dumb because Finn, again, is an ex-stormtrooper. And then Poe says it because the rule of goddamn three, Poe would have seen this too because he's a fucking fighter. <laughs> so after the chase... After the chase... They get away, and they crash into quicksand, and they start sinking down, and Finn yells to Ray, goes, I have to tell you something! I have to tell you about the future! <laughs> oh, sorry. Wrong movie. Um, um, what, I, what I found interesting about that part, okay, so when I first saw it in the theater, I was like, oh... I guess they're kind of bringing back the Finn loves Ray thing because he says, I never got a chance to tell you and then sinks in the sand. So I was like, oh, he was going to say, I love you. But then later on, I read that apparently he was going to tell Ray that he's force sensitive. And that's when he didn't get a chance to tell her. Now, you're sinking in quicksand. You think you're going to die. Why? Why do you choose right now to be like, I'm force sensitive. Who cares? We're about to die. <laughs> And also, why would you not tell her that? That's not something you would keep from her. Why? There's no reason for him to keep this secret. Like, it would make more sense if he was going to say, I, I, I love you, I've always loved you, or some bullshit like that. But, no, apparently he was going to tell her that he's Force-sensitive. And if you're thinking right now, wait a minute, Finn's Force-sensitive? When did that happen? Yeah, so was pretty much everyone that was watching that fucking movie. Because I don't remember them ever mentioning that he was Force-sensitive. Do they think that they had to make him Force-sensitive because he used a fucking lightsaber? Ding, ding, ding. But it's just... A, it's But the lightsaber isn't itself... Like, people can hold lightsabers that they're not Jedi. Like Very true, but... In the movie universe, the only people that have held a lightsaber are either Jedi or Sith. It's stupid. It is very dumb because the lightsaber like, itself is just a weapon. So now they sink down and they happen to sink into some tunnels and they find the knife. The knife is has a coded message on it written in Sith. They find the giant snake who is hurt and Rey decides she's going to force heal the snake. Okay, sure, fine. Force healing has been around in games before. Yeah, they've alluded to it before, but I think this is the first time in the movies that it's actually used, which I don't have a problem I, with. I have no problem with it. 
they decide they can't use the Falcon, so they're going to use the smuggler ship to get away. This is where we get the first shot of the Knights of Ren, who were brought up in the first movie and we haven't seen. And in this movie, they basically do very little in this movie. Rey senses Kylo, and Kylo is flying his TIE fighter at Rey. So you get the trailer shot that everybody knows. Poe is trying to start the smuggler ship. Tells Chewie, who has the knife, to go get Rey. Chewie gets captured. Finn sees Chewie get captured. Kylo is now rushing at Rey. Rey jumps, slashes the TIE fighter wing. Kylo crashes in a horrific crash that probably should kill Kylo. I'll let that go, though. Finn runs to Rey and goes, Rey, they got Chewie! Rey force grabs the ship, which is really cool. Again, has been done before. Kylo walks out. He reaches out and he grabs the transport as well. And now there's kind of a tug of war over the transport. And suddenly Rey shoots lightning out of her hand and the transport blows up. Oh, shit. And everyone thinks Chewie is dead. I remember in the movie theater, I actually thought that they killed him. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, cool. I did too. I was I was cool with that. I mean, not that I love Chewie, don't get me wrong. Oh, but I was yeah. like, oh, wow. They're just, they're going to do it. Okay. And now Ray and Finn run to Poe's ship and they fly away. And we get a discussion with C-3PO. And they're like, God damn it. We don't have the knife anymore. He goes, yeah, it's too bad, you know. Well, the only place the... The Sith writing exists is in my memories. And everyone's like, Arr? <laughs> Yeah, so C-3PO basically took a mental image of the knife. But there's an issue with that. C-3PO apparently can't read Sith. Oh, right, well, he can translate a bajillion languages. And that's the main reason why we brought you along is because you can actually translate languages. And the one language he needs you to translate, you can't fucking do. Like, well, what is the point of you? Well, correction is... He can translate it. He's not allowed to by his programming. Yeah, I would argue if you're working for the Rebellion, a Sith language would be the best fucking language to know how to read. Who would program a pro... You know what? I don't want this protocol droid to be able to read Sith. Like, Who would do that? So Poe has this idea. Okay, we're going to go to this planet to see these people I used to know. I know this guy that can hack into C-3PO and get his memories. So now they're on another quest to another fucking planet. The problem is with this movie compared to Last Jedi, as far as the planets and the quests that they go on, Last Jedi had different planets too with different aesthetics and environments. But... You got to, like, hang out there for a while. Like, say what you want about Cantabite, but at least you got to hang out and, like, see the world, and you saw the characters doing shit there. With this, it's like they go to one planet, they introduce that there's a weird quirk about the planet, and then within, like, five minutes, they're leaving the planet to go somewhere else to get something else. You can't let anything just breathe no. for a minute. We are going a million miles a minute. And it's it's just nonstop. So we cut the Kylo Ren ship, and on Kylo Ren ship, Chewie's alive. Yeah, that annoyed me. Okay. And it's not the, the what annoyed me wasn't that they had Chewie be alive. 
what annoyed me is that literally they let the audience believe that Chewie was dead for like five minutes, not even. What would have been cool, I think, is if you just let him go on being dead and then have him show up in like a heroic moment. Yeah. Maybe a half hour from now. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, because it's also funny because later on the characters address how they're so upset that Chewie's dead. And, you know, Chewie meant so much to them. But we're like, as the audience, we've seen that Chewie's alive already. That takes away that moment from us because we've grown with Chewie. We know Chewie as well. Chewie has been our fucking space dog for six movies now. And as the characters grieve, you can grieve with them. And now you've taken that from us. And now it's a fucking empty, hollow scene. True. Like most of the scenes in this movie. Ugh. Okay. So they get to other planet, and yeah, Casino or no? It's uh, who cares? Kajimi. Yeah. I don't Go, know. Kajimi. Yeah. They get to other planet, and Poe finds one of his old friends from this planet, named Zori Bliss, played by Carrie Russell, who only has this fucking role because she worked with J.J. Abrams on Felicity, and it's stupid because you never see her fucking face. She is constantly wearing a helmet and a skin-tight suit. The fucking role could be played by any Tom, Dick, or Harry. But, you know, J.J. wanted to give his old friend a bajillion dollars for being in a Star Wars movie. Yeah, we get on this planet, and they have a little bit of a fight with Sorry Bliss, and Ray beats them down, basically. They have that one line where Ray kind of gets Zori on the ground and holds the lightsaber to her. And uh, Zori says to Ray, Not that you care, but I think you're okay. I care. And I was like, oh my god, are you kidding me or what? This fucking dialogue is so stupid. And the thing is, I'm not not a fan of J.J. Abrams. Like I've said before, I really love Lost. I think he's talented. I just can't with some of his dialogue. It's so schmaltzy. Like, stop it. <laughs> it kind of feels like he's trying to be James Gunn. Kind of, yeah, that's true. Or like Joss Whedon. Yeah. Um. So... Poe says to Zori Bliss, hey, take me to Babu Frick, who is this hacker guy that could get into C-3PO's memories. Zori eventually says, okay, they go and see this Babu Frick, and he's a little tiny man. <laughs> he's very cute. A little cute. tiny puppet man. He's very cute. Fun fact, Babu Frick was a nine-inch tall puppet operated by seven puppeteers including a Miss Shirley Henderson, who also voiced the character. Now, if you don't know who Shirley Henderson is, she plays the iconic role of Moaning Myrtle in Harry Potter. I wouldn't expect you to know me. Who would ever talk about ugly, miserable, moping, moaning Myrtle? <laughs> ah. And I looked that up before rewatching this movie, and when I rewatched it last night with Scott. I listened for her voice and you can hear it. If you listen to Babu Frick's like little mumble jumbo talk, you can kind of hear Moaning Myrtle a little bit. So Zori and Poe are having this nice little conversation about uh Zori has this medallion that will let her go past the blockade on the planet and will let you 
land anywhere, SIF controlled. Sure, whatever. Okay, sure. That's uh, Again, another fucking MacGuffin. You know, we just need an object to get you somewhere else. It's like he writes himself into plot holes and then he's like, okay, well, whenever you hit a plot hole, just make up some random object that can get you out of the plot hole. It's so fucking stupid. I'm getting mad now. This is the part you all have been waiting for. <laughs> oh, God, Scott and Frankie getting annoyed. So they finally crack open C-3PO's head and C-3PO gets this whole emotional thing like apparently once they rewrite his protocol, he won't remember who anyone is and he'll lose his memory and he'll just be a regular protocol droid. Yeah, they try to shoehorn this like emotional plot for C-3PO and it's just so stupid and he turns around and he's like I'm just looking at my friends for the last time. They've it's treated like, you like shit this entire movie. Yeah literally like up to this point they've been treating you like a little punching bag. They've the treated time. you worse than Han treats you and Han doesn't like you. Yeah <laughs> rightfully so because he almost got Han eaten by goddamn Ewoks. I just don't like C-3PO at all <laughs> like it's so annoying. Ugh. Oh god. Anyway they get the memory from C-3PO. They get the memory of the Sith writing on yeah. the knife. And then that's when the stormtroopers come. Yes. And then Ray looks out at the ships above and she has a, a, a spidey sense. You know, her, her Jedi senses are tingling. And she says, Chewie's on that ship. And Chewie has the knife, so really, you just went through that whole thing, going to this planet, meeting Babu Frick and Zori, and doing all this shit on this quest for no fucking reason, because Chewie's been alive this whole time, and you can just go and get the fucking knife back. It, it, lots of pointless shit in this movie. Yeah, so they go to free Chewie on the ship, and it so happens Kylo and everybody goes down to the planet while they uses the medallion that Sori gives to Poe to land on the ship and they break onto the ship. Ray decides to break away from Poe and Finn who go and save Chewie and Ray goes to Kylo's quarters and she has another mental talk with Kylo through the Force. And they are now like actually fighting through the Force. Yes, this scene I actually really liked. I liked visually how they did it, how they made it so both of their separate environments are enmeshed with each other. It just looked really cool. I mean, the dialogue was pretty basic, but yeah. visually that kind of made up for it. Yeah, visually it looks good, and it's it's definitely a cool idea. While this is happening, Chewie, Poe, and Finn all get captured again. Oh, no. Finally, Kylo realizes that Rey's on the ship. Yeah, because at one point they knock over Darth Vader's helmet and it falls to the ground and Kylo can see it on the ground and he's like, oh, you're in, you're in my ship because I have the, the helmet and that's the helmet, so you're in my ship. I'm coming for you. And then he disappears. Then we cut back to the guys being captured. We have Hux, played by Donald Gleason. He's with a bunch of other stormtroopers and they're gearing up to execute the guys. Right at the last second, as Hux is holding the blaster on them, he turns around. This is one of the worst scenes in the movie, I think. And that's saying something. He turns around and shoots all of the other stormtroopers around him, turns back to the three guys, and just says out loud, I'm the spy. What? You 
We don't have much time. I knew it! No, you did not. What? <laughs> I think we got that when you shot the stormtroopers, dude. Like... And then, of course, they respond with, You're the spy? What? It's just so over-the-top and stupid. And Tux really hasn't done much of anything this whole movie. So it just comes out of nowhere. And then he just spells it out for the audience. Like, oh, I'm the spy. Thank you. Thank you so much, Hux. We got it. Thank you. Hux is done so dirty in this fucking... Why is he the fucking spy? It makes zero sense. He hates the fucking rebellion as much as he hates Kylo Ren. He's the general of this army. If anything, he should be plotting to get rid of Kylo and kill them. He should kill everyone. This is the thing I've been pitching since we started this fucking thing with The Force Awakens. Yes. Preach, it, preach, bitch. It should be... Hey, every issue we ever have is because of fucking the Rebellion and Sith. It's the Jedi, it's the Sith. They've always been our problem. Us as normal people can't survive. Kill them all. And <laughs> the reason that they say that Hux is the spy is because he doesn't want the Rebellion to win. He just wants Kylo Ren to lose. And it, like, that's a cool sounding line, but if you think about it for more than two seconds, it really makes no sense. Because I hate Kylo Ren so much. He's so mean to me in the last movie. But I will say in Trevor's script, what they do with him is a little more interesting. In Trevor's script, Hux is not a spy. But they go through the whole thing, Rebellion versus First Order, and towards the end of the fight, when Hux realizes that defeat is inevitable, he grabs an old lightsaber out of like a display case or something, and he impales himself with the lightsaber. He does like the samurai thing, which I think is cool, because I think we mentioned prominently in our New Hope review, when our friend Carolina Swift was here, shout out to Carolina, we were talking about how a lot of the Star Wars lore is connected with samurai stuff. Oh, 100%. So that's kind of cool that they did that. And even more cool, what I read, is that he doesn't just impale himself with any old lightsaber. You know what color the lightsaber was? Red. Purple. Oh, maces. Isn't that sick? I was like, oh, I read that. I was like, oh, my God. That is very interesting. That would be very cool. But again, Hawks got done dirty just like poe just like finn yeah just like ray so he leads them out and he goes okay shoot me so they don't know i'm the spy and finn shoots him in the leg right after that the next scene with hux is him getting found out and getting killed okay fine whatever but yeah, it's just, again, it just seemed like a waste of a good actor and a potentially interesting character. Yeah. yeah. So Kylo has Rey cornered. You know, he's talking to her and saying she should join him. And he also drops that she is Palpatine's granddaughter. <gasps> what a twist. Oh, it's so stupid. <laughs> now, he, he does mention that, oh, yes, I never lied to you. Your parents were nobody. They chose to be nobody. Yes, the, the T is Ray's parents. They got out from under Palpatine's thumb with Ray, and they hid her away on Jakku to protect her from Palpatine. And then not long after that, Palpatine tracked down the parents and killed them. Uh, okay, 
it just sounds so convoluted the way they explain it. My head hurts. Well, this also led to a lot of people going, wait, who the fuck did Palps fuck? Yeah, that's that's the thing, too. They never explain that. Did Palp fuck somebody and make a child? Or is Ray's father a clone? It's not explained. It's very vague. Purposely, I think, because they don't want to explain it. Uh, it's it's not explained in the movie. I think they did explain it afterwards that, yes, Ray's father is a failed clone of Palpatine. But it's, again, a way for J.J. to kind of go back on Last Jedi a little bit. Because one of the coolest aspects I thought of Last Jedi was that they did say that Ray's parents were nobody and that she wasn't related to anybody. And the fact that she's Force-sensitive... It's just, you know, it's just is what it is. And anyone can be, you know, that whole thing we were talking about. So, of course, J.J. had to completely retcon that and go back and be like, no, she's force sensitive because she's the granddaughter, quote unquote, of one of the most powerful force users in all the galaxy. Yes. Okay. Like Lost, you made more new questions than you answered old ones. (laughs) Exactly. So... They have now determined that the second Wayfinder is on the moon of Endor. Oh, great. Another planet we have to go to just randomly. And it is where, of course, the second Death Star fell. So they go to the moon of Endor and they meet a bunch of Ewoks. No, because we're on Endor, right? Can we meet some Ewoks? No. But why? I want to meet an Ewok. Make this scene better. Give me an Ewok on Endor, bitch. So we get a bunch of ex-stormtroopers who are like Finn. Oh, okay, yes. So remember my complaint last time with Last Jedi that they completely abandoned the Finn used to be a stormtrooper thing? So they're bringing it back now, which I'm not mad about. We meet this former stormtrooper... Uh, by the name of Jana, who is played by Naomi Aki. And she's fine. You know, her and her little ex-stormtrooper friends, they rebelled from the stormtroopers and went and lived on their own off the land, you know, and they have these little space horsies that they ride around. That's fine. We dig it. They have, after all this time, one solitary scene with Finn talking to this girl Jana about being a former stormtrooper and a child slave yeah. and all that good stuff. Just, you know, one five minute scene, not even. In Trevorrow's script, it's much more of a plot point. Apparently Finn leads an entire trooper uprising. I wish that they would have gave John Boyega more to do <laughs> because he is such a talented actor and it could have been such an interesting plot line for him. But this is what we get, so it is what it is. Yeah, and I like the fact that Trevorrow liked the Stormtrooper Rebellion. I think that's actually a very cool idea. Now, when we're on this planet with the remnants of the Death Star and everything, despite how I feel about this movie, this sequence is one of the best in the movie because not long after they arrive there, Kylo Ren shows up. And that's when shit starts getting exciting. <laughs> yeah. So Ray has stolen a ship to sail over to the Death Star too, and she finds the Wayfinder. Oh, really? Does she find the way after she finds the Wayfinder? No, she doesn't. 
You don't say. What happens when she finds the Wayfinder she in the Wayfinder area with the Way in the Wayfinder? She finds her way into a locked room. <laughs> I had to continue it. And she fights kind of a dark version of herself. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This was by far, I think, one of the stupidest parts in the movie. So she finds herself, her dark version of herself, and she's wearing this black cloak and she's got red eyes. It's like the Teen Wolf red eye situation. (laughs) And she's like, the dark version says to Ray, oh, don't be afraid. Come to the dark side. And then they start fighting, which kind of looks cool. But then the dark Ray has razor sharp teeth. Like a wolf, kind of. <laughs> like Teen Wolf. It's basically the Teen Wolf version of fucking Ray. And she bites at her. Not just like nips, like hung. Like tries to eat her face, basically. And it's just so over the top and dumb. I, I can't. <laughs> the only cool thing about this scene is Dark Ray has a double-bladed red lightsaber. Ooh. Which we haven't seen one of those since... Phantom Menace. Ray falls down, drops the Wayfinder, and who picks it up? Frankie's favorite. Kylo Ren! Yay! And he destroys it in two seconds. So we've spent, mind you, we've spent all this whole time looking for the Wayfinder. We finally found the Wayfinder. Hooray, hurrah. Now we can find the Sith, right? Right? No. It was totally pointless. Just another plot thread in this movie that was smushed in and completely abandoned in a second. And then uh, Ray flips out and starts trying to kill Kylo. This is the only moment where it's kind of alluded to that Ray is struggling between the dark and the light because, you know, she's angry and she's attacking Kylo in anger and trying to kill him. I don't know. It's it's very vague and flimsy, her struggle, quote-unquote, with the dark side. Because even when she she fights her dark self, it's so cartoony and stupid that, like, you don't really feel that she's struggling with the dark side. You just feel like... I don't know. I don't even know what you're supposed to feel in that moment. A hundred percent agree. Again, this fight is very cool because you get the water crashing around them and they're fighting on top of remnants of the old Death Star. It's a yes. cool fight. Because, again, it's Kylo and Rey, which is pretty much the most developed relationship throughout this trilogy. Yes. And as they're fighting, it's pretty even. And finally, Kylo kind of gets the upper hand and then suddenly he stops because Leia calls out his name. Yes, they establish right before that that Leia is sick, dying, question mark. I don't know. It's, it's again, very vague. But as she's kind of lying in bed, it's implied that she uses the last bit of her strength to reach out to her son with the Force. And it distracts Kylo just long enough for Rey to grab his lightsaber and stab him with it in the chest and you're like oh shit (laughs) kylo falls down and right as ray is standing over him leia dies 
and both Ray and Kylo feel it through the Force, and they just stop dead, and they're kind of in shock. And Ray leans down and Force heals Kylo Ren, and she says to him, "When." You reached out your hand to me. I wanted to take it, but I wanted to take Ben's hand. So it's a nice moment showing that, like, Ray does know that they're still good in Kylo. Then she steals Kylo's ship and flies away. And then we get another one of the best scenes in the movie. We get Kylo Ren standing alone on the Death Star. And he looks out into the distance. And there's a figure standing there. And who is it, Scott? Han motherfucking Solo. Woo! Han's back. And I remember being shocked when we saw this in the movie theater. Because there was such a big thing about him wanting to just die in Force Awakens and be done with this shit. So the fact that he came back for Rise of Skywalker was fucking boss as fuck. And I love this scene because Han doesn't have the Force. So it's not like a Force ghost. It's... It's all in Kylo's head, I would assume. It's it's his memory of his father, and he's talking to him in his head. That's what I took out of it. Come on. It's too late. She's gone. Your mother's gone. But what she stood for, what she fought for, that's not gone. Kylo Ren takes his lightsaber and chucks it into the water, and... It's the death of Kylo Ren and the rebirth of Ben Solo. Yep, it's the end of that scene. Finn and Poe go back to Rebellion headquarters. They find out Leia is dead. Poe is now the general. Poe makes Finn also a general. Rey goes back to uh, where Luke was. And oh, the the island with the Porgs, right? Yes, the island with the Porgs. Yeah, we get a little Porg cameo, yay. Some Porg action. She burns Kylo's ship for some reason. Uh, And then she goes to throw her lightsaber into the fire. And Luke catches it. Force ghost Luke! Yay! Exactly. And Luke says, this is an elegant weapon that should be taken care of. Hmm, I wonder who he's speaking of with that line. You talking to me? You talking to me? He's going to be a little more subtle, you think, JJ? Luke has a talk with Ray, gives her a little pep talk, because Ray's like, I'm just going to stay on this island like you did and never leave, blah, blah, blah. Luke gives her a pep talk. He actually ends up pulling a Yoda and lifting his old X-Wing out of the water, and Ray goes on that ship and flies away. Yeah, she, she now starts flying towards Palpatine because I guess she can sense Palpatine and she leads a trail of breadcrumbs for the rebellion to follow to go attack Palpatine oh and also while they're on the island they find Leia's lightsaber oh that's right yes apparently in the past Leia had given her lightsaber to Luke to hide away for reasons uh her reason was according to this movie is when ben became kylo ren she gave up being a jedi then i don't know it's very flimsy again very forced and who cares luke was hiding away this lightsaber so now ray has both luke and leia's lightsabers okay she lands on hexagal 
Exegol. I Exegol, think. whatever. Another random planet. Who cares? The Palpatine planet. And she sees the Sith throne, Palpatine, and his... Pantheon of... People. Yeah. The, it's weird. It's It doesn't really make sense what it is. It's a completely dark room, so the, it's all just kind of a mob blah of blackness. There's Palpatine on the throne, and then there's an empty throne next to him where he wants Rey to sit and assume the throne beside him. And then you look out, and it's like a gladiator's arena full of cloaked beings, which I assume is like... The spirits of past Siths? I don't really know for sure. Yeah. It's not really explained. But Ray shows up and she's like, I'm not taking the throne. I'm here to destroy you. Yeah, we're, we're now coming towards the end. Ben sneaks down on Palp's planet and is now confronted by the Knights of Ren who make their first real appearance. And they beat the shit out of Ben. Yeah, so this sequence is... I think my f- absolute favorite. Ray has one of the lightsabers unsheathed and she's facing Palpatine. Meanwhile, Kylo Ren is on the other side of the planet getting ready to fight the Knights of Ren. Which, why are the Knights of Ren just randomly on Exegol? It just doesn't matter! It just doesn't matter! I tell you, it just doesn't matter! It just doesn't matter! It just doesn't matter! It just doesn't matter! Ben is fighting the Knights of Ren, and he connects with Rey, and there's no words spoken. They're kind of just staring at each other, and Ben gives Rey a little nod, and Rey takes the lightsaber, puts it behind her back, and slowly pulls back her hand and the lightsaber's gone then you cut to Ben and Ben pulls out the lightsaber from behind his back so I loved the idea that you can transfer things physically in the connection they established it in the beginning with Kylo Ren taking the necklace and then at the end they use it for good where Rey gives him a lightsaber so I just I, I really liked that part of it it was great, and then the f- ensuing fight was cool as fuck, and then Ben eventually makes his way to Ray to help her, and they, at the same time, unsheath their lightsabers, and they're like, come on, motherfucker, we're gonna get you. And they get their ass kicked. Yes. <laughs> but for that brief moment, it was very intense and cool and exciting. Yes, it was very cool. While this is going on, Poe and Finn have now come to the planet, They are trying to stop this large fleet of Star Destroyers that Palps magically had from destroying the galaxy. Uh, Yes, this is what I was talking about earlier when I said I got a splitting headache because the whole sequence of the rebel ships fighting Palpatine's fleet is just a big mishmash of CGI fuckery. Yeah, so basically you have this whole big fight going on Poe starts losing confidence. People are dying. And then you hear Lando's voice almost like, on your right, basically. And Lando has brought all these ships of regular people who are going to fight 
Yay. See, this is the point in the movie where you should be excited because Lando's here with Chewie and they're driving the Falcon and they're going to save the day with all the other fucking ships. And it's like, I don't care at all. I'm just over it. I just want it to be done. Like, I honestly was waiting to go back to Ben and Ray. I just wanted to see what they were doing. Yeah, exactly. So Palpatine sucks the life out of both Kylo and Ray. Yes, and they both pass out. At one point, Ben kind of wakes up and Palpatine immediately just force chokes him upwards and throws him off a cliff. <laughs> but it's so quick that, like, you know he's not actually dead. But for now, Ben is out of the picture. Ray is now staring at the Emperor and Palpatine raises his hand to the sky and shoots a giant force lightning into the sky. And this is Ray's cue to start coming back up to refight Palpatine. Yes, she reaches out with the force into the night sky and says, be with me, be with me, meaning all past Jedi come to Rey and give her the strength. And they certainly do come to her and give her some strength, some words of wisdom. We get a sequence where it's just a complete starry black sky and a whole bunch of past voices that we know and love come and encourage Ray to rise up, rise up. When are these colonies gonna rise up? 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 Rise up! I imagine death so much, it feels more like a memory. What? <laughs> anyway, um, when's it gonna get me? On my feet, seven feet ahead of me? Okay, I'm done. So we get a slew of voices talking to Rey, including Anakin Skywalker, Mace Windu. We get both young Obi-Wan and old Obi-Wan. We get Yoda, Frank Oz himself. We get Qui-Gon Jinn. And we, of course, get Luke Skywalker at the very end saying, we're all here with you, Rey. You have to rise up because all the Jedi live in you now, blah, blah, blah. And with all of that force behind her, Ray stands up and faces Palpatine. And Palpatine says to her, you cannot defeat me. I have all of the Sith inside of me. <laughs> Sounds kinky. And Ray turns around and says, and I have all of the Jedi. Also very kinky. So they fight. They basically just bump fucking lightsaber to force lightning and Ray reburns off his face. <laughs> Which leads us to, again, why does he not stop shooting Force Lightning? Oh, yes, we had this problem before with Mace Windu. It's like, dude, just stop doing the Force Lightning, and you won't be getting your face burned off anymore. It seems pretty simple, but uh, then we don't have the excitement, dear. Yeah, that's true. So Palpatine is defeated by Ray, And she immediately passes out and dies basically she's very very close to death i think if she isn't already all dead as billy crystal said in princess bride there's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead please open his mouth finn is on another ship far far away because you know he's been doing war things fighting it's not important anyway He's on another ship and he apparently senses it when Ray dies. 
because again he's force sensitive now so he can sense whatever it doesn't matter right as that happens Ben emerges from this cliff that he was thrown down and he goes to Ray and he holds her in his arms and he's very sad and he decides I'm going to save her like she saved me and he leans over her and he does the force healing thing to her only when she did it to him he wasn't dead he was just injured so she didn't have to give all of her life force to him but because Ray is either so very dead or so very close to dead he basically has to transfer all of his life force into her to bring her back to life now i liked this scene up until a certain point and we're gonna talk about the certain point right now so ray comes back to life ben is holding her in his arms and she's very happy to see him she's like oh ben yay ben's here yay and they have a very cute moment. Ben smiles at her. And then out of the clear blue sky, they kiss. Now, I mentioned in Last Jedi that I was a fan of Raylo. So you're probably thinking, Frankie, why don't you like this? You were on the Raylo team. What's your deal? And I'll tell you, audience, I don't like this because it came out of fucking nowhere. <laughs> like, in Last Jedi, they were kind of subtly progressing the Raylo thing. It wasn't an overt romance. It was just kind of undertones. And I dug that. And if you were going to complete that arc in this movie, you could have, I guess, somehow... But they didn't really at all. So it's just no mention of any sexual Raylo tension, romantic tension whatsoever. And then right at the last minute, they just make out. And it just felt like a cheap move to satisfy the Raylo fans. But in actuality, it just dissatisfied everybody. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, so, yeah, yeah the... Final order is defeated. Ray is alive. Kylo dies, and he fades away. Yeah, right after the kiss, he drops to the floor and he dies, and he disappears. Which means that he is like back on the good side now, right? Like that's what that means, right? He's one. He's back one with the force. Right. That will lead to something that I'm irritated about later. So we'll get there. And Leia also disappears right as Ben dies because, and I liked that aspect because it kind of showed that like, even though she was dead, she didn't fully disappear and because she wasn't fully at peace until her son was at peace. So I liked that aspect of it. Now the final order is defeated and now we're just doing like the last minute, like wrap up stuff. Uh, so they go back to the rebellion base. Chewie gets a medal. Stupid. Again, another, like, fucking throw-in thing that just for no reason. We get everybody celebrating. Everybody's happy. Yes, uh, Lando uh, meets Janna, the trooper horse lady. And he offers to help her find her family. So that's kind of setting up perhaps maybe some storyline in the future. Who knows? So the last scene of this movie, Ray travels for the first time to Tatooine, the home of Luke Skywalker. 
and she's looking around. The place is kind of gone into disarray. It's just covered in sand. Yeah, it's. Co- I don't like sand. It's coarse. It's rough. It gets everywhere. Yeah, I mean, she's just you know bobsledding on it, and she ends up burying the fucking lightsabers in it. You know, you better hope you're able to find those again. There's lots of sand everywhere. There's not really a marker. But yes, so then now we have like the the return to the family name thing that Ray was talking about in the beginning of the movie on the fucking Coachella planet. Remember the Coachella planet? Doesn't it seem like a million years ago? That's because it was. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, we have truncated a lot of this. <laughs> yeah, we like really kind of whittled this down to the bare bones and it's still confusing as fuck. But continue, babe. Let's let's bring this home. So finally, Ray has buried the lightsabers, and some old woman who's walking through the desert, uh, walks up to her and goes, "No one's been here for like forty years. Who are you?" And she goes, "Ray." She looks to her left. She sees the Force ghost of Leia and Luke. And she goes, she turns back to the old lady after a good ten seconds, and goes. Skywalker. I'm Ray Skywalker. Fuck you, first of all. It's so it's 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 dumb. I get the idea. It's basically the supernatural slogan of like family don't end in blood, like Yeah, exactly. Which I like that message, but it's just so cheesy and schmaltzy, it's like kinda undercuts the whole thing. But what I really don't like about this end scene, most of all, is that after everything that Kylo Ren slash Ben Solo has been through in this trilogy, again, by far the most developed character in this trilogy, he finally went back on the good side and he became one with the Force and he passed. And I would argue that he was a pretty close contemporary with Rey. So why in the last scene when she sees force ghosts of Luke and Leia, why is Kylo not there? Why, why is Ben not there? Yeah, You had Vader do it with Luke when he died. Like, like why, why isn't he there? It doesn't seem right. It, I feel like that would have just been like the Mwah, chef's kiss to his story. You know, like the perfect end. Like he's a force ghost and he's always going to be looking out for Ray. Oh, and he's reunited with his family. Right, of course. It's just sad. I don't know. That bummed me out. Yeah, I get it. So that is the end of the Skywalker saga for now. Yay! So before we talk about our, our final thoughts on this movie, would you like to hear about the ending to the Colin Trevorrow script? Sure. I figured I'd save the end. As I mentioned before in the Trevorrow script, by the third act, Kylo Ren is the big bad that Rey is fighting. By that point, by the ending of the Trevorrow script, instead of revealing to Rey that she was Palpatine's granddaughter, Kylo Ren revealed to her that her parents didn't sell her off they were actually trying to protect her from the First Order or whatever. But Kylo Ren actually killed Rey's parents on Snoke's orders. So after that big reveal, Rey and Kylo have their big boss fight at the end. Kylo ends up blinding Rey and like sucking out her life force. And then right at the last minute, 
Leia senses from far away that Rey is in danger and reaches out to Kylo Ren with the Force, like she does in this movie. And she, I guess her presence kind of softens Kylo enough that he realizes the error of his ways and he relinquishes his own life force back into Rey, leading him to die you know, and disappear, become one with the Force as Ben Solo. Okay. And Rey does get help, guidance from the past Jedi, like in this movie. And she lives and she goes back to, uh, to Finn, who is romantically intertwined with Rose. Remember Rose? <laughs> By the way, she, Rose actually was in this movie. We didn't mention her at all because she's barely in this. Like, she has, like, maybe, like, four lines in the whole fucking movie. Yeah, something like that. It's it's a shameful, shameful thing. But what are you going to do? Um, but apparently in Trevor's script, Rose was a bigger part in it. Um, because she is involved with Finn. And at the very end of the movie, Rose and Finn end up starting a safe haven for Force-sensitive kids and Ray is like the resident trainer, and that's how the movie ends. Uh. Both movies have a happy ending, I guess, but I feel like, at least from how I was reading it, there are a lot of the same beats in uh, the ending of Trevorrow's script in this movie, but I don't know. I feel like the Trevorrow one probably would have been a little more satisfying, a little more exciting. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. It does sound the few things do sound that were different from Trevor's script to this script definitely sounded exciting and definitely could have been worked with if he had was given the chance to actually work with them. But we'll never know. There will never be a Colin Trevorrow uh, Rise of Skywalker. So we have this one. Yay! How many stars did you give Rise of Skywalker, dear? Rise of Skywalker, I have as a two-star movie. Okay. Uh, I was flirting with two and a half, but I, I decided to knock it down to a two because, God, it's it's just, it's hard to get through, and it's it's hard to, especially when Disney owns this property, and you saw what Disney has done with Marvel, and how well they landed the Marvel Cinematic Universe, at least this big giant first phase with Endgame, to see how poorly handled this was. Yeah, really. And how it crashed and burned at the end. It's sad. Yeah, it kind of sucks that, like, this is how it ends up. But I also gave it two stars out of five. I didn't like it. It's, again, it's like, a little less than two and a half hours and it felt like at least double that like it was just it was a very taxing film and you'd think with the pace being so breakneck with like we gotta get this going do a million things da -da 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 -da, you'd think that it wouldn't feel like that but it just it just feels over stuffed with just things happening mm -hmm. for no reason so it's just very frustrating to watch at times uh, but the only thing that kind of carried me through this movie was Kylo Ren him and Daisy Ridley pretty much carried this franchise on their shoulders and it's really not their fault because 
that's how the characters were written like all of the other main characters were just kind of relegated to side character yeah like halfway through like it's just i don't know it's uh, like halfway through the franchise i don't know how that happened but it sucks it really does yeah especially because there, there's a lot of things laid out even in the first two movies that you could have built upon and actually made you know good choices with instead of having this fucking oh god there was this huge backlash so we're not so we're gonna go backwards instead of double down like again Kelly Marie Tran had such a big part in the last one and then you fucking relegated her to whatever five six lines in this yeah. movie and it was it's yeah it's just very odd that it was very out of place and odd but a lot of things in this movie are out of place and odd because it it was very obvious that they were just trying to mop up the mess that they made for the last two movies, which, you know, like we said with Avengers, that is a masterclass in how to set up a cinematic universe or a cinematic franchise with multiple characters that you're invested in as an audience and this is the exact antithesis of that. This is the exact perfect crystal clear lesson of what not to do when you have a franchise and you want to do a multiple movie arc. Like, don't just, you know, throw a movie at different, throw one movie at this person, one movie at this person, and just hope that they'll figure it out on their own. Like, you have to come together and make a cohesive narrative. And if not, then it's just all jumbled up, and that's why we get Rise of Skywalker. Yep, and it's 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 disappointing. It it is really disappointing. Like watching it again, I'm still kind of it's underwhelming. It's you know, there's a lot of problems with this movie. Yeah. Uh, as Frankie has mentioned, the breakneck speed of it, how you get no chance to breathe. Yeah. Nothing seems to have any weight. There's seven MacGuffins. Exactly. Well, you said that when we were watching it, I the breathe comment. There's no chance to breathe. And I think that that is indicative of, like, the most major problem, which is that, like, again, you're stuffing all this shit into one little movie, and you can't keep up with it all, you know? Like, it's really tough to sit there and watch this movie and be like, Okay, you can pull certain things out that you're like, that's really cool. Like, I like Bobo Frick. He was a nice little cool little guy. He meant nothing, but I liked him. Oh, also we saw Ewoks at the end. So for Frankie, we saw Ewoks. Oh, yes, we did get to see Ewoks, which is fine. But it's annoying that because of all of the bullshit that J.J. pulled with this movie... Like you were saying, Scott, none of the emotional moments, and there are a couple. At least they they try they try to have a couple, but they don't. You don't feel anything because they're focusing so much on the little MacGuffins and the details and this planet and that planet, and we got to go here and do this. And it's like you can't focus on anything emotional with the characters. The only real emotional moment that they let breathe and let you focus on it was the conversation between Ben Solo and Han Solo. That was really it. Cause that you felt hardcore. And there were also a couple like minor half feels with yeah. Carrie Fisher, 
But that was mainly because you know watching it that Carrie Fisher was gone and it was sad because of that. Mm -hmm. So in actuality, there really wasn't a lot to this movie. There was a lot in it, but not a lot to it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be a long time before I sit and watch this again. Same. I can't see myself. I would see, honestly, even though I fucking uh, rated phantom menace as the worst i would watch phantom menace again before i watch this again yep yeah, yeah, because right. phantom menace you can at least laugh at at certain things you also have a lot more moments like duel of the fates and yeah like even though the pod racing has no stakes because you know anakin skywalker survives blah blah it's still a fun moment and of course ewan mcgregor frankie loves ewan mcgregor I do, it's true Hello there. Even though we're done now with the Skywalker saga, I don't want you guys to fret because uh, we're not done with Star Wars time just yet. No. There are other Star Wars movies that we will be doing through the end of this year every single month. So we're, we're going to finish out the year Star Wars style. So don't you guys worry. But next week... Scott is going to be introducing me to a film that I've never seen. I don't even think I ever heard of it until fairly recently. So I'm excited to dive into a normal movie once again. Um, because, yeah, this was a trial, man. Like, oh, yeah. This, this was this was a rough go. This was like my Les Miserables for you. How <laughs> Les Mis was for you, I Th- feel this like. This is beat for both of us. It was just really long and really tedious. Yeah, for both of us. And it's definitely something I don't... Yeah, we're done. <laughs> we're done. We're done with the Skywalker saga, at least. So hopefully, moving forward, Star Wars time, we'll have some, some fun again. Indeed. But until then, this has been Shoot the Flick, an official Paradosia podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check out our Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick. And check out our weekly episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our next brand spanking new movie adventure. May the force be with you. And also with you. (laughs) 